Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech, the podcast where we break down all sorts of biotechnology topics. My name is Matt and thank you so much for joining me today. If you like what I'm doing, please like, subscribe, or leave a comment. And if you could leave me a review at iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, that would also help me out uh, a lot. So welcome to the show. Today we're going to be talking about Sangamo Therapeutics. And they're a company that I've been interested in for a while, along with uh, all the other sorts of gene editing and gene therapy companies. So these guys have been around for a while and uh, they have made a, they've been pretty disruptive, I think, in, in their different gene editing and gene therapy products. But today I'm going to talk about the latest release of data for the treatment of MPS2 or Hunter syndrome, which is a deficiency in an enzyme known as iteronate 2-sulfatase and uh, when you have a defi- deficiency in this enzyme, you end up getting a buildup of these large uh, mac- large polysaccharide molecules, and it leads to a lot of problems. So they also have products in for hemophilia and uh, beta thalassemia, and I've covered Spark and some of the other companies that are also trying to figure this out from a gene therapy and genome editing um, perspective. But the treatment that they have for MPS2 is a, uh, it's a gene editing therapy where they use zinc finger nucleases to insert this uh, gene uh, for, that encodes for the IDS uh, product. So the current treatment for IDS is um, Eliprase, and it's a enzyme replacement therapy, so patients uh, have to go weekly to get the enzyme actually put back into their, their blood system, then the tissues take it up, and they're able to then break down the large-scale uh, mucopolysaccharides, and then they can be detected in the urine or the blood. <clears throat> so uh, the release of the data, this is a phase 1-2 trial that Sangamo has going on right now for their treatment, and it's called SB913. So people are, I mean, the market reacted quite negatively to the news, and we can see here, so the data came out on the 5th of September, and we see this big drop for two days straight, and it's slowly picked up since then. And I think it's, uh, I th- so I think there's a lot to be upset about with the data that's come out, and I'm going to get into that. But I do see some potential here. So I have taken a position on the company, um, and I'll, uh, I'll explain why I have in a second. So, okay, so let's get into the data. So just, yeah, so as a, what they're trying to do is they're just trying to replace IDS in, in the body. And so you can do that in many different ways. And the gold standard right now is this Eliprase, like I explained. So patients that they have in these trials are on um, ERT, enzyme replacement therapy. And then they're, the trial is uh, they're treating patients in two in each cohort with different doses of this AAV vector um, and it's multiple different vectors that uh, will replace the IDS gene, and hopefully it'll infect the liver cells. So they have an albumin-specific promoter, which is, all, which is restricted to liver cells. So the infection should only affect those cells, and they should get expression of this IDS uh, that, that would, would occur in the blood. It would occur in all sorts of tissues that, um, that the the gene product, the enzyme itself is going to be. So the liver cells are going to be the only ones that actually produce the IDS, but they're going to secrete it into the plasma and then it's going to circulate and get taken up by other tissues. So, um, yeah, so 
this is what I just explained. So liver expresses it after treatment, and then it goes all over the body, and it'll break down these mucopolysaccharides that cause the difficulties that we see in uh, in MPS2 or Hunter syndrome. So one of my frustrations with the study is that they only did two patients in each cohort, so three different pa- three different cohorts with different doses of SB913 and two patients. Now, I don't know if it's only because this is a safety study, but in any universe, two patients is just too little to really say to say anything about the treatment. So kind of frustrating from that point of view, especially if one patient doesn't respond. You know, what can you say about that? Is there any conclusion you can make or is it just unknown and we have to wait to the next trial? So that's kind of frustrating. But like I explained, three different cohorts and three different doses. So five times 10 to the 12 vector genomes, uh, 1 times 10 to 13, and 5 times 10 to 13. So this trial was really just a safety trial, and then they had secondary outcomes that actually looked at efficacy of the treatment. So I also think that this reaction is a little strong, only because this is a safety trial, and so getting patients to actually not have any severe adverse effects is really the thing we should be looking at, but people want to read into the efficacy part to really see if the, the drug actually works. So uh, so thankfully, there there weren't really any um, adverse events in this treatment, and they didn't really talk about the third cohort of this high dose here, um, but they did talk about these two lower doses. So they haven't seen really any uh, serious treatment adverse events, which I think is very positive. But let's get to the part where people are, are really upset. So cohort one, they saw no change really in... Uh, so they, they measured urinary... Uh, G gags, urinary gags, which is just a, uh, it means a mucopolysaccharide, which is a, you know, one of these large scale, one of these large uh, sugar molecules that that's the result of the negative effects that are associated with MPS2. So if they see that uh, urinary gags go down, then they can, uh, it suggests that these big molecules are getting broken up and, uh, and that's good. That's what we want to see. So this is kind of a, well, this is another uh, surrogate endpoint. It's not really measuring the disease, which you could measure through clinical outcomes or actually measuring the IDS activity. So in terms of diagnosing MPS2, they use urinary gag like that, but to measure the severity of it, um, doctors use uh, plasma IDS activity. So that's the actual activity of the enzyme in the plasma. And Sangamon had an issue with that, but <clears throat> let's just talk about the, the gag numbers. So for total gags in the urine, after 16 weeks, they saw no change in cohort one, and then they saw about a 50% decrease in cohort two, which is one times 10 to the 13 vector genomes per kick. So pretty good. I think that the fact that we see it at multiple time points means that there's a sustained effect and I'm convinced that there is something going on here. Um, again, two patients, and this is only relative change. So, you know, we can say what you want about that, and it's not absolute numbers, which would have been more useful. But to you can see here that, you know, they are getting an effect. If they look at dermatin sulfate um, by itself, they, they again see no change in cohort one. 
and they see a big change in cohort two. Um, so, so this is quite nice as well. The, the change isn't quite as dramatic, but they, they do see that decrease. And then in heparin sulfate at 16 weeks, they, they again see a substantial decrease in cohort two, but nothing really in cohort one. So the, on the earnings call, not the earnings call, the, the, the data call, they're attributing this 100% to the fact that there's IDS activity going on in the, these patients. Now, no scientific study would publish this data unless you could show that there was actually IDS activity going on. So it's very nice for them to say that that's what's happening, but without showing any data, it's a, it's a, it's a wash. It's not useful to us. So they said their plasma IDS activity assay wasn't sensitive enough to detect in the plasma, which you can imagine is possible. So their limit of detection here is 5.2 nanomole per hour per milliliter. You can't really say that it's due to this enzyme activity if you can't measure it. So, and, and this is plasma IDS. So one of the other critiques is that why don't they do a liver biopsy and measure plasma activity IDS there? And they could have done that, and they didn't. So they, they mentioned in the call that they're going to do a liver biopsy on cohort 2 and cohort 3, but they don't have that data yet. And the, the funny thing is that they published a study of all of this stuff in, in mice, and they did this. They measured IDS activity in the blood, and they were able to see it. And they did liver um, extracts and were able to measure the activity of the gene. So this study here, they go into very, very good detail on uh, what they what they need to do in humans, really. And I know taking a liver biopsy is more intense for humans than it is mice, but you know, you're trying to really show a proof of concept here. And if you're trying to convince people that this is how everything is working, you need to show this data. So this is disappointing, uh, to say the least. And there's things that they could have done to make people feel better. But I think part of me wants to give them, if, you, if we were to give them the benefit of the doubt, this is a safety study. And that is the primary uh, endpoint that they're looking for. So I think we should focus on that a little bit. But I think the market right now is pricing in this uncertainty. So so there's a chance that there is enough plasma IDS activity to merit that drop in urinary gags and they just can't measure it. So I'm betting by my position that they're going to come up with a new assay and it's going to measure a certain amount of IDS activity in the plasma or in the liver that is going to show uh, something clinically relevant. Now, one of the other things that has bothered me so much is that it's nice for us to argue about these things like whether or not they should show IDS activity, but we're not the ones that make the decision on whether this gets FDA approved. And the the guy, I don't, I don't know who it was that was in the earnings call, but they haven't spoken to the FDA about clear guidelines on what it takes to be successful. So maybe it's just because this is a very early trial, but if you don't know what success looks like, then what are we even doing here? Like, what's the point? So we can look, so the thing that we can actually look at is the uh, Elipraise trial and see what, what it took for them to get approval and and go off that. So a lot of people have been commenting on this, and there's there's a few nice articles on Seeking Alpha that I'll link to in the description. This group, Farmyang Investment, wrote a nice one, and uh, this guy as well, Bill Koski, wrote a nice one. And this guy on Twitter, uh, he's written a nice thread about this this whole thing and i agree with most of what he said 
um, but not all of it. But I think he's he's somebody you should follow on Twitter. He does a lot of good stuff on uh, on different pharma companies. But so everybody's been commenting like, does it work? Does it not work? Because the the real issue is, if this doesn't work, this affects all of Sangamo's gene editing products with zinc finger nucleases, and uh, and it's going to be a real problem because their hemophilia B product is similar to their MPS2 product. So if that doesn't work, then that's going to show a lot of negative consequences for them in, in, in that data. So I would look in these, read these articles if you want more information. But my breakdown and the way I'm, I'm considering this is that the, the fact that there's no data on IDS activity levels doesn't mean that there's no IDS activity. It just means that they can't show it. And the market's pricing that uncertainty. And so I'm making a bet that that they're going to be able to show this data eventually. And then once that's, that uncertainty is resolved, the market will then reprice Sangamo at a, at a higher level than it is now, since that's what it should be more accurately priced at if this works. Yeah, so I am disappointed in the amount of uh, conf- confirmatory studies that would actually put investors at rest when it comes to this. But I, I think that once we get more information on it, it'll be uh, satisfying because... If you look at their mouse data, their mouse data actually looks quite good. So I recommend people go to um, to look at this study. I'll, I'll put a link below because they did pretty extensive stuff to show that it works in mice. And of course, mice are not humans, but it's uh, it is it is refreshing to see. So in terms of uh, what it would take for them to actually get approval in from the FDA, uh, a lot of the phase three studies are. That, that looked at Elipraze, they did a lot of clinical outcomes. And this study had no clinical outcomes. And I would say that it's probably because it's a it's an early study. But in their phase three, they're probably going to want to see whether or not patients get improvements in a lot of the negative things that are associated with MP, MPS2. So they're going to do things like cognitive, although it's tough to know that the, the product's going to cross the blood-brain barrier. So that might be not an accurate one, but there's a lot of clinical outcomes that uh, were used in the phase three for Elipraze that they can use to see whether or not these decreases in urinary gags actually um, are associated with good clinical outcomes. So, so they don't really know what the FDA wants from them to, to be considered a success, which is obviously a big problem. And that doesn't mean that they haven't reached that already. It just means that they don't know. So there's more uncertainty associated with that. That's also depressing the stock. So, once we get a clear idea of what what is it, you know, is it the IDS activity level that they have to measure in the blood? Is that the endpoint that they need to do? Or is it really just the decrease in urinary gags? So, so we're going to have to find that out. But I think that the amount of decrease that they've seen in uh, in gags is, is pretty substantial. So if you look at a study here and actually this uh, Twitter guy GC bio in um, linked to uh, he linked to a good study that tracked patients over a certain number of time and uh, they followed up patients for three years after ERT to see how much uh, reduction in urinary gag there was and what they saw was in in children uh, the gags were all over the place after after treatment so there wasn't as much of a consistent effect with ERT in children and then when they did older kids they saw more of a consistent thing but it was still some patients were a little erratic when they did adults though look at this convincing drop here so in adults up at about a year they get 
you know, for 60% decrease from, uh, from the initial start. So the patients that they saw that, that are in this trial are above 18. So it seems like once you're an adult, or at least when you're not an adolescent, uh, gag reductions are a lot more convincing. So had it been that the, these were, were children, I would have been a little suspicious that, that these patients were um, being treated properly because you would expect a lot more variability in the, in the decrease. But it looks like here um, to get, you know, about 30% or to get up down to only 30% uh, remaining in the gags, I think is interesting. So this treatment was able to further reduce this another 50% according to uh, the data that we see today. So I, I do think that there's some efficacy here, which we should be happy about. And all we need really is the IDS activity levels and, uh, and clinical outcomes would also be good. So I think I'm, I'm willing to put a little bit of money in this and, and see what happens. But I think that in the, you know, whatever data they show next is uh, related to the hemophilia B data, which should be coming out in Q4 2018. So that's a very similar product to this. And if they show efficacy, that's going to really alleviate a lot of the fears that are associated with this guy because the hemophilia B product is also controlled by the albumin pr promoter. So I think it's the same or a very similar construct, just a different gene. So we'll see that um, and, and that'll be good. And they're gonna present more of this data in Q1 of 2019 at the World Symposium. So if you wanna wait until we get closer to then, if you don't wanna leave money in there for a little while, you can do that as well. So I'm, I, I took a position earlier this week a small position and um, we'll see how it goes but uh, yeah you know two patients in each cohort not ideal all right so gonna wrap up with just a quick portfolio check-in so where are we here um, so I added Sangamo uh, a lot of the CAR-T companies took a bit of a hit today so Bluebird's been hammered pretty good with some uh, another company released some good data on on their cancer drug and I think people are just seeing more competition for Bluebird as they go forward but I haven't changed my position. Adamus is down uh, as per usual and I, I heard on Friday that their COO is going to resign by the end of the year so that's a disaster pretty much. Uh, I don't know if this, the market's going to react too much to that but I'm, uh, I'm waiting for their Q3 results and we'll see whether or not um, they're worth just cutting our losses or, or not. But otherwise, uh, Amune saw a bit of a bump, and I think they're only going to they're gonna slowly grind up the, the closer they get to uh, seeking approval and actually, like, starting their product. And, yeah. Oh, I'll touch on Esperion. Uh, so it hasn't changed much since then. I think we just have to wait for that, for that trade to resolve. Um, yeah. So otherwise, volatility is going to be down a little bit this week. And, um, yeah. That's pretty much it. So thanks a lot for watching, guys. And uh, please leave me a like, subscribe, or comment. And we'll see you next time.